Chapter Eighteen of the Benefactress by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor, Oxford, UK. The philosopher tells us that after the healing interval of sleep, we are prepared to meet each other every morning as gods and goddesses. So fresh, so strong, so lusty, so serene did he consider the newly risen and the sometime separated must of necessity be. It is a pleasing belief, and experience, that hopelessly prosaic governess who never gives us any holidays, very quickly disposes of it. For what is to become of the godlike mood, if only one in a company possess it? The middle-aged and old, who abound in all companies, are seldom godlike, and are never so at breakfast. The morning after the arrival of the Chosen, Anna woke up in the true Olympian temper, she had been brought back to the happy world of realities from the happy world of dreams by the sun of an unusually lovely April shining on her face. She had only to open her window to be convinced that all which she beheld was full of blessings. Just beneath her window, on the grass, was a double cherry-tree in flower, an exquisite thing to look down on, with the sunshine and the bees busy among its blossoms. The unreasoning joyfulness that invariably took possession of her heart whenever the weather was fine filled it now with a rapture of hope and confidence. This world, this wonderful morning world that she saw and smelt from her window, was manifestly a place in which to be happy. Everything she saw was very good. Even the remembrance of Delvig was transfigured in that clear light and while she dressed she took herself seriously to task for the depression of the night before. Depressed she had certainly been, and why? Simply because she was over-excited and over-tired, and her spirit was still so mortifyingly unable to rise superior to the weakness of her tiresome flesh, and to let herself be made wretched by Delvig, merely because he talked loud and had convictions which she did not share. The godlike morning mood was strong upon her, and she contemplated her listless self of the previous evening, the self that had sat so long, despondently thinking instead of going to bed, with contempt. These evening interviews with Delvig, she reflected, were a mistake. He came at hours when she was least able to bear his wordiness and shouting, and it was the knowledge of his impending visit that made her irritable beforehand and ruffled the absolute serenity that she felt was alone appropriate in a house dedicated to love. But it was not only Delvig and the brick-kiln that had depressed her. She had actually had doubts about her three new friends, doubts as to the receptivity of their souls, as to the capacity of their souls for returning love. At one awful moment she had even doubted whether they had souls at all but had hastily blown out the candle at this point, extinguishing the doubt at the same time, smothering it beneath the bedclothes, and falling asleep at once, after the fashion of healthy young people. Now, at the beginning of the new day, with all her misgivings healed by sleep, she thought calmly over the interview she had had with Frau von Treumann before supper, for it was that interview that had been the chief cause of her dejection. Frau von Treumann had told her an untruth a quite obvious and absurd untruth in the face of the correspondence, as to the reason of her coming to Kleinwalde. She had said she had only come at the instigation of her son, who looked upon Anna as a deserving object of help, and Anna had been hurt, had been made miserable, by the paltriness of this fib. 
her great desire was to reach her friends' souls quickly, to attain the beautiful intimacy in which the smallest fiction is unnecessary, and so little did Frau von Treumann understand her that she had begun a friendship that was to be for life with an untruth that would not have misled a child. But see the effect of sleep and a gracious April morning. The very shabbiness and paltriness of the fib made Anna's heart yearn over the poor lady. Surely the pride that tried to hide its wounds with rags of such pitiful flimsiness was profoundly pathetic. With such pride, all false from Anna's point of view, but real and painful enough to its possessor, the necessity that drove her to accept Anna's offer must have been more cruel than necessity, always cruel, generally is. Her heart yearned over her friend as she dressed, and she felt that the weakness that must lie was a weakness greatly requiring love, for nobody, she argued, would ever lie unless driven to it by fear of some suffering. If, then, it made her happy, and made her life easier, let her think that Anna believed she had come for her sake. What did it matter? No one was perfect, and many people were surprisingly pathetic. Meanwhile the day was glorious, and she went downstairs with the springy step of hope. She was thinking exhilarating thoughts, thinking that there were to be no ripples of misgivings and misunderstandings on the clear surface of this first morning. They would all look into each other's candid eyes at breakfast, and read a mutual consciousness of interests henceforward to be shared, of happiness to be shared, of life to be shared, the life of devoted and tender sisters. The hall door stood open, and the house was full of the smell of April, the smell of new leaves budding, of old leaves rotting, of damp earth, pine-needles, wet moss and marshes. "'Oh, the lovely, lovely morning!' whispered Anna, running out onto the steps with outstretched arms and upturned face, as though she would have clasped all the beauty round and held it close. She drew in a long breath, and turned back into the house, singing in an impassioned but half-suppressed voice the first verse of the Magnificat. The door leading to the kitchen opened, and to her surprise Baroness Elmreich emerged from those dark regions. The Magnificat broke off abruptly. Anna was surprised. Why the kitchen? The Baroness saw her hostess's figure, motionless against the light of the open door, but the light behind was strong and the hall was dark, and she thought it was Anna's back. Hoping that she had not been noticed, she softly closed the door again, and waited behind it till she could come out unseen. Anna supposed that the Princess must be showing her the servants' quarters, and went into the breakfast-room. But in it sat the Princess, making coffee. "'There you are,' said the Princess heartily. "'That's nice. Now we can drink our coffee comfortably together before the others come down. Have you been out? You smell of fresh air.' "'Only a moment on the doorstep.' "'Come, sit next to me. You have slept well, I can see. Notice the advantage of coming straight in to breakfast and not running about the forest. You get here first, and so get the best cup of coffee.' "'But it isn't proper for me to have the best,' said Anna, smiling as she took the cup, "'when I have guests here.' "'Yes, it is. Very proper indeed. Besides, you told me they were sisters.' "'So they are. Has the Baroness not been here?' "'No, she's still in bed.' "'No, I saw her a moment ago. I thought you were with her.' "'Oh, my dear, so early in the morning,' protested the Princess. "'When did I see her last? 
less than nine hours ago she followed me into my bedroom and talked much i could not begin again with her the first thing in the morning even to please you and she looked at anna very affectionately you were tired last night were you not she continued axel lohm stayed so late i think he wanted to speak to you but you went straight up to bed i had seen him before he went in to you he didn't want to speak to me he was consumed by curiosity about our new friends was he he did not show much interest in them he talked to me nearly all the time he thought for a moment that he knew the baroness at least he stared at her at first and seemed surprised but it turned out that she was only like someone he knew she had evidently never seen him before it's a great pleasure to me to talk to that young man the princess went on while anna ate her toast so it is to me said anna i have met many people in my life and have often wondered at the dearth of nice ones how few there are that one likes to be with and wishes to see again and again axel is one of the few decidedly so he is agreed anna there is goodness written on every line of his face oh he has the kindest face and so strong i feel that if anything happened here anything dreadful that he would make it right again at once he would mend us if we got smashed and build us up again if we got burned and protect us this houseful of lone women if ever anybody tried to run away with us and anna nodded reassuringly at the princess and took another piece of toast that is how i feel about him she said so agreeably certain not only of his willingness to help but of his power to do it talking about axel she quite forgot the apparition of the baroness that she had just seen he was so kind so good so strong how much she admired strength of purpose independence the character that was determined to find its happiness in doing its best if i had a daughter said the princess filling anna's cup she should marry axel lohm if i had a daughter said anna she should marry him so yours couldn't i wouldn't even ask her if she liked it i'd be so sure that it was a good thing for her that i'd just say my dear i have chosen my son-in-law get your hat and come to the church and marry him and there'd be an end of that the princess felt that it was an unprofitable employment trying to help on axel's cause she could not but see what he thought of anna and after the touching manner of widows was convinced of the superiority of marriage as a means of real happiness for a woman over any and every other form of occupation yet whenever she talked of him she was met by the same hearty agreement and frank enthusiasm the very words being taken out of her mouth and her own praises of him doubled and trebled it was a promising friendship but it was a singularly unpromising prelude to love please make some fresh coffee begged anna the others will be coming down soon and must not have cold stuff her voice grew tender at the mere mention of the others for the princess and axel both of whom she liked so much it never took on those tender tones as the princess had already noted there was nothing in either of them to appeal to that side of her nature the tender mother side which is in all good women and most bad ones they were her friends staunch friends she felt and of course she liked and respected them but they were sturdy capable people firmly planted on their own feet able to battle successfully with life as different as possible from these helpless ones who needed her whom she had saved to whom she was everything between whom and want and sorrow she was fixed as a shield 
two of the helpless ones came in at that moment with frosty early morning faces anna put the vision she had seen at the kitchen door from her mind and went to meet them with happy smiles and greetings frau von treumann did her best to respond warmly but it was very early to be enthusiastic and at that hour of the day she was accustomed to being a little cross besides she had had no coffee yet and her hostess evidently had and that made a great difference to one's sentiments the baroness looked pinched and bloodless she was as frigid as ever to anna said nothing about having seen her before and seemed to want to be left alone so that the mutual gazing into each other's eyes did not after all take place the princess waited to see that they had all they wanted and then went out rattling her keys and after an interval during which anna chattered cheerful and ungrammatical german and the window was shut and warming food eaten frau von treumann became amiable and began to talk she drew from her pocket a letter and a photograph this is my son she said i brought it down to show you and i have had a long letter from him already he never neglects his mother truly a good son is a source of joy i suppose so said anna the baroness turned her eyes slowly round and fixed them on the photograph aha she thought the sun again last night the sun this morning the sun always the sun the excellent treumann loses no time he is good-looking my karlchen is he not yes said anna it is a becoming uniform oh becoming he looks adorable in it especially on his horse i would not let him be anything but a hussar because of the charming uniform and he suits it exactly such a lightly built graceful figure he never stumbles over people's feet herr von lohm nearly crushed my poor foot last night it was difficult not to scream i never did admire these long men made by the meter who seem as though they would go on for ever if there were no ceilings he is rather long agreed anna smiling heart whole thought frau von treumann tell me dear miss estcourt she said laying her hand on anna's oh don't call me miss estcourt but what then oh you must call me anna we're to be like sisters here and you too please call me anna she said turning to the baroness you are very good said the baroness well my little sister said frau von treumann smiling my baby sister baby sister thought the baroness excellent treumann you know an old woman of my age could not really have a sister of yours yes she could not a whole sister perhaps but a half one well as you please the idea is sweet to me i was going to ask you but karlchen's letter is too touching really such thoughts in it such high ideals and she turned over the sheets of which there were three and began to blow her nose he has written you a very long letter said anna pleasantly the extent to which the nose-blowing was being carried made her uneasy was there to be crying you have a cold dear frau von treumann inquired the baroness with solicitude ach nein doch nein murmured frau von treumann turning the sheets over and blowing her nose harder than ever it will come off thought letty who had slipped in unnoticed and was eating bread and butter alone at the farther end of the table poor thing thought anna she adores that karlchen there was a pause during which the nose continued to be blown. 
His letter is beautiful but sad. Very sad, said Frau von Treumann, shaking her head despondingly. Poor boy, poor dear boy, he misses his mother, of course. I knew he would, but I did not dream it would be as bad as this. Oh, my dear Miss Estcourt, well, Anna, then, smiling faintly, I could never describe to you the wrench it was, the terrible, terrible wrench, leaving him who for five years, I am a widow five years, has been my all. It must have been dreadful, murmured Anna sympathetically. The Baroness sat straight and motionless, staring fixedly at Frau von Treumann. "'When shall I see you again, my dearest mamma? were his last words, and I could give him no hope, no answer. The handkerchief went up to her eyes. "'What is she gassing about?' wondered Letty. "'I can see him now, fading away on the platform as my train bore me off to an unknown life. An only son.' The only son of a widow is, is everything, everything to his mother. He must be, said Anna. There was another silence. Then Frau von Treumann wiped her eyes and took up the letter again. Now he writes that though I have only been away two days from Ruslar, the town he is stationed at, it seems already like years. Poor boy, he is quite desperate. Listen to this. Poor boy. And she smiled a little and read aloud. I must see you, liebste, beste mamma, from time to time. I had no idea the separation would be like this, or I could never have let you go. Pray beg Miss Estcourt. Aha, thought the baroness, to allow me to visit my mother occasionally. There must be an inn in the village. If not, I could stay at Stralsund, and would in no way intrude on her. But I must see my dearest mother the being I have watched over and cared for ever since my father's death. Poor dear foolish boy, he is desperate. And she folded up the letter, shook her head, smiled, and suddenly buried her face in her handkerchief. Excellent Treumann, thought the unblinking baroness. Anna sat in some perplexity. Sons had not entered into her calculations. In the correspondence, she remembered, the son had been lightly passed over as an officer, living on his pay and without a superfluous penny for the support of his parent. Not a word had been said of any unusual affection existing between them. Now it appeared that the mother and son were all in all to each other. If so, of course, the separation was dreadful. A mother's love was a sentiment that inspired Anna with profound respect. Before its unknown depths and heights, she stood in awe and silence. How could she, a spinster, even faintly comprehend that sacred feeling? It was a mysterious and beautiful emotion that she could only reverence from afar. Clearly, she must not come between parent and child. But yet, yet she wished she had more time to think it over. She looked rather helplessly at Frau von Treumann, and gave her hand a little squeeze. The hand did not return the squeeze, and the face remained buried in the handkerchief. Well, it would be absurd to want to cut off the son entirely from his mother. If he came occasionally to see her, it could not matter much. She gave the hand a firmer squeeze, and said with an effort that she did her best to conceal, "'But he must come, then, when he can. It's rather a long way. Didn't you say you had to stay a night in Berlin?' "'Oh, my dear Miss Estcourt, "'My dear Anna!' cried Frau von Treumann, snatching the handkerchief from her face and seizing Anna's hand in both hers. "'What a weight! 
from my heart what a heavy heavy weight all night i was thinking how shall i bear this i may write to him then and tell him what you say a long journey you are afraid it will tire him oh it will be nothing nothing at all to karlchen if only he can see his mother how can i thank you you will say my gratitude is excessive for such a little thing and truly only a mother could understand it in short karlchen's appearance at kleinwalde was now only a matter of days unverschamt was the baroness's mental comment End of chapter 18